Today's episode is generously supported by Yumiko. Yumiko has just launched their newest leotard style, the Masha. The Masha mesh leotard features a deep mock wrap back and a feminine V front neckline. It is now available in any color and with any sleeve length online or in the New York store. Want one now? The Yumiko New York shop has over a dozen options available to purchase today. So don't delay. Get into classes and rehearsals in your new Masha leotard. This episode is brought to you by San Francisco Ballet. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. This week on Conversations on Dance, we are joined by in-demand choreographer and artistic director of Ballet Met, Edward Liang. Liang danced for the New York City Ballet, where he rose to the rank of soloist. He later joined the Netherlands Dance Theater and performed in the Broadway show Fosse. These influences have shaped his choreographic talent, which are sought all over the globe. He has choreographed for the Bolshoi Ballet, the New York City Ballet, the Kirov Ballet, Shanghai Ballet, Pacific Northwest Ballet, and many more. In our final episode from our time at the San Francisco Ballet's Unbound Festival, we talk with Edward about his choreography, his dancing career, and his then-upcoming premiere for the company. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, we're so happy to have you in our little studio and um, you know, taking time out of your busy uh, choreographic process. So thanks for being here. I'm so happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> um, so let's just start um, with you telling us a little bit about how you got your start in dance. I am a Bay Area kid. I grew up uh, right across the bridge um, and I started classes with my sister at Marin Ballet, and um, it just was one of those things where it was very typical that my sister, you know, eventually quit dance and I continued. But um, my parents are very type A, and so we did horseback riding, karate, ballet, violin, anything that you could like think of. Mm-hmm. Um, but what stuck was ballet. How do you feel that that time um, doing violin and doing music studies helped you with your dancing and later your choreography? Oh my gosh, I was terrible at violin. Were you? <laughs> yeah, I was horrible. <laughs> and really hard. Uh, yeah, eventually my parents made me quit because it was just, I think, annoying for everyone. You couldn't hear it anymore? <laughs> no, they just couldn't handle it. Did you play <laughs> so, anything anymore? No. no. When did you quit? <laughs> I quit like around like seven or eight. Hmm. So I didn't really, I didn't really master anything <laughs> let's just put it that way <laughs> so what um what led you to uh new york what was that always a goal for you to um you know what attracted you to the new york city ballet um i my teacher pushed me to um audition for the summer intensive mm-hmm. and uh I, it was just something that I was really interested in. I I was kind of um, trained RAD and Russian, and I didn't really know that much about balancing technique. And mm-hmm. but obviously, I've seen as many videos as I possibly get my hands on mm-hmm. of New York City Ballet and um, balancing and whatever was on television. And uh, my sister and I went, uh, and I think two thousand. No, no, not 2000, 19, <laughs> crap, <laughs> 1988. And we went to the summer, summer course mm-hmm. 
And then I, uh, I was, it was really weird summer because I, the first week I rented or stayed at a, a family friend's apartment down in, um, downtown near Chinatown actually mm -hmm. in Mulberry street. And then I moved to the Upper West Side and uh, for the last couple of weeks for the summer intensive. And then they asked me to uh, come back for the year. And you went right away and stayed? Yeah. yeah. I, I, well, I went back home first and then, <laughs> then I packed, your things. <laughs> packed my things and came back. So right. Was there no dormitory at that point? There was no so dormitory. Really, that's a, a risk for a parent to let you out like that. Did they were supportive? Yeah. I, you know, I definitely had to learn a lot of things very quickly. Mm -hmm. You know, my first two weeks in New York City, I... You know, I was still 13 years old and wow. I wandered and back then in uh, Times Square was not very nice. And I was super excited to play arcade games. <laughs> and then, you know, I was downstairs in Times Square and I got mugged. Uh -huh. So I, I had to learn quickly. Uh -huh. Wow. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Right away. So, so you were taken into the New York City Ballet where you had a wonderful career. But at one point you decided to um, pursue other opportunities. You uh, were in. Fosse on Broadway and you dance with Netherlands Dance Theater. Uh, when you took those opportunities, did you know that it was a potential that you could, might not be able to come back to New York City Ballet, which you eventually did do? Yeah, I think that that was a, a different time when uh, a lot of dancers at New York City Ballet really just stayed where they were at. Mm -hmm. um, nowadays, uh, there's a lot of dancers that are moonlighting in Broadway and theater and, mm -hmm. um, but I sound so old, but back in the day, um, <laughs> there wasn't that much sort of cross crossover a little bit. Mm -hmm. But, um, for me, I, I always felt like as if my career was not about, uh, anything but experiencing as much as I could with the time that I'm given. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, I'm. I would lie if I didn't want to uh, be as successful as I could in New York City Ballet. Right. But obviously, I think everybody that goes into any sort of ballet company, hopefully, dreams of being successful, whether they're a principal or soloist or just dancing a lot. Mm -hmm. right. um, but I knew that I wanted to experience as much as I could, mm -hmm. um, and believe it or not, I. Even though, especially at the time that I was in New York City Ballet, we were doing, it was a different sort of programming time. Mm -hmm. We were doing like oh, 45 yeah. ballets in 14 weeks, mm -hmm. rotating 12 ballets a week. So um, I got very comfortable on stage, which was, was, was great. Mm -hmm. But I kind of realized that I wanted to experience as much as I could because I liked more the process. I what. I didn't really enjoy performing that much. Really? Yeah. I never was, uh, I would say, confident enough. Mm -hmm. And I was always a bit too nervous. Do you feel like you would have been, you would have enjoyed it a little more if you had more time to rehearse in the studio and enjoy that process of working on things? Um, prob I found out later, no, because, you know, we had more time in NDT. Mm -hmm. We had more time in other... Um, I guess when I guested with different companies mm -hmm. and it didn't, that didn't sort change. of process didn't change. Mm -hmm. I love the process. I love right. being in the studio. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what kind of fascinated me to um, even 
try choreography mm-hmm. is right. the process in the studio. Right. Cause that's all, that's the big part of it, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so how did your time away from New York City Ballet shape who you became as a dancer and then later as a choreographer? I think that, you know, New York City Ballet is one of the, obviously a huge institution and one of the most amazing companies out there. But, um, I, I really believe that, you know, every, every experience that you have shapes you as an artist and your experience and not only as in a company, but also your different relationships and your friendships and how, what you read and how you, um, what you put in front of you and whether visually or how you surround yourself mm-hmm. and, um, what you choose for your life. Um, so after leaving New York city ballet, it was such an eye opening experience of just being able to be outside of uh, New York city ballet. Cause mm-hmm. sometimes I think city ballet has this mentality and it's very, um, singularly minded. Mm-hmm. Right. And what I love about the new generation of dancers is that they, and choreographers is they have such a huge, um, view mm-hmm. on dance and dance landscape. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's very different. So, um, at that time I didn't realize that, but when I got the offer to, um, go on Broadway, mm-hmm. I took that because I just wanted a whole different experience. Okay. And, I am not like Robbie Fairchild where I can sing and dance and act. I knew that I could take over for um, Julio Boca or Desmond for that, that track perk four, but that Broadway lead role didn't have much singing and there's not that many Broadway roles that are like that. Right. 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 So I wanted to take advantage of that and have that experience. Yeah. And uh, after that, I wanted to experience more. So I started guesting around and through just uh, guesting with the Norwegian National Ballet, I met Paul Lightfoot and Saul Leon and mm-hmm. Uri Killian. And that's when they invited me to go mm-hmm. and dance with Netherlands Dance Theater. Did you hesitate at all before that? Because that's such a different, it's one thing to do Fosse, but um, I don't know, you have to, you had to really open yourself up to doing something ent- so entirely different from your life at New York City Ballet and the whole balancing style and aesthetic. Right. Uh, or were you just so down and excited for a new world? I think both. I mean, one thing that I was confident in myself with was that I had the ability to um, morph mm-hmm. and use my body to like quickly learn new material. Mm-hmm. Um so I would, I guess, categorize myself as a mover. So if uh, that's something that I loved yeah. to do is adapt to different sort of techniques and um, perspectives and work with as many people as possible. Um, so I I wasn't really afraid of that until like the first day when they asked me to improv and I've never even done that yeah. before. And Dancers get so scared to improv, right? I, hate, I always, like, I always hated improv. it. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's just, it's, it's, it's just a matter of practice mm-hmm. and totally. getting out of your head. Mm-hmm. And it's a great exercise of just being in the moment. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's, it's a form of meditation right. and you realize that you are this label making machine. Right. So if you span the room 
just looking at the room, you can't help but judge what is around you. Mm-hmm. Good, bad, color, mm-hmm. like, dislike, etc. Yeah. So you realize that it's like meditation where you let that just happen mm-hmm. and you don't try to edit it. Right. And it could be as loud and as quiet as you make it in your mind. Mm-hmm. And you either decide to listen to it or not. Yeah. So it it was a great sort of learning Right. Space. So, so how did you get your first start with choreography, your first um, time to sit and experiment with some dancers? Uh, it was through more of a dare. Um, I think that the environment at NDT was very much about creativity and having the dancers help the choreographers put together material uh-huh. even. So we were all creating together. Right. And through this sort of like dare and uh, I made a potata for the choreographic workshop. Mm-hmm. And then um, it just kind of uh, snowballed into the next project. And I kind of fell in love with the process. And yeah. that's how I came, became a wannabe choreographer. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, uh, you know, your balancing influence from New York City Ballet, Killian, Netherlands Dance Theater, and I'm sure a host of other people that you've worked with throughout, throughout your career. But who would you say um, has influenced you the most in your own, um, as you've developed your own choreographic voice? You know, I, I've been asked this question so many times, and I think that it's a very poignant question for all of us, mm-hmm. you know. Um, what is interesting is, is that I, when I really think about this, mm-hmm. you can't help but be influenced by every single person that you've been, sure. that you've worked with. Mm-hmm. And um, I think a lot of us, that's why my choreographer friends, we all try to surround ourselves with things that inspire us, whether it's people Mm-hmm. art, uh, literature, mm-hmm. movies, right. um, things that really kind of touch, move, and inspire us. Mm-hmm. And that would directly reflect back to the people and the material that we create. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, absolutely Balanchine and Killian and Christopher Wielden mm-hmm. to um, everybody that I've worked with whether it's Romansky or to Hans von Manen, mm-hmm. um, or even videos that I, I watch, um, working with Ohad, mm-hmm. uh, watching Pina Bausch. Mm-hmm. It, you can't help but be influenced by their inspiration and, uh, especially these iconic or very powerful voices mm-hmm. that, um, directly influence you. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I like that you brought up um, things outside of dance as well, because, you know, I love those moments in choreography where, uh, you know, like Agon at the beginning with the four men is just inspired by the energy of men walking down the street in New York City at that time. Or I think of um, the moment in Justin Peck's Year of the Rabbit where he, he turns the girls into turnstiles. So, you know, a subway ride can be inspiring that you can draw inspiration from every place in your life i mean i think that it it not just in ballet but if you talk to like philip glass i mean he was a taxi driver for many many years and (laughs) his inspiration was the sound of the city Mm -hmm. and his customers Mm -hmm. and 
there's this, if anyone has lived or just visited New York City for a long period of time, you realize that there's this um, sort of hum mm -hmm. of the city. Right. And it's very vibrant. It's very different than any city that I've ever um, lived in. Mm -hmm. And that's why there's this New York City buzz mm -hmm. and this sort of energy. It's very fast paced. Mm -hmm. um, but I think that that's exactly where Philip Glass derived his inspiration from. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it was on purpose. Right. It, it was just this ability to tap into that mm -hmm. and then maybe not the right word, but regurgitate it right. <laughs> to, um, yeah. to create his music. Right. So, um, in 2013, you accepted the position of artistic director at Ballet Met. How did this opportunity come about? And had you always seen this sort of role as something in your future? No, <laughs> uh, again, it was, uh, a bit of a fluke. Mm -hmm. Uh, I never really saw myself as an artistic director. Uh, I came back from creating from, I created a, a work for Zaharva at the Bolshoi mm -hmm. and I kind of ticked that box. And what was interesting is I came back to New York city and I was kind of just, I would say questioning or just seeing what my next step is. Yeah. I, I, um, accomplished more than I expected uh, at that time. And I just wanted to see if this, um, craft or what I was doing was still holding true to me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I had, had always this huge fantasy that I would become an acupuncture someday. Really? <laughs> yeah. Uh. Um, cause my grandfather taught me acupuncture. Uh -huh. Um, I do acupuncture on myself. I, I don't, gonna say, I don't, help that's in your amazing. Oh, a lot, <laughs> but I wouldn't do it on other people because I don't want to get sued. But, um, <laughs> so, or just random like fantasies where I would like take over a chain of Panda Express and become a millionaire. But uh, anyways, I can't believe I said that out loud. <laughs> but, good. Um, it's came back and I got a phone call from a board member from Ballet Met and they were headhunting me and I didn't answer their phone call um, and their messages, like, I think three rounds. And then finally, um, you were playing hard to get, huh? No, I just was not interested <laughs> yeah. and it didn't even like, I saw it in my email or my voicemail and it, it, I just, it, I didn't even think about it. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why I answered this particular email mm -hmm. and I just responded and I said, I'm sorry that I've been rude. Right. <laughs> and um, so I had a phone call with her. And what kind of hit home was that I've never interviewed for a job before. Wow. So I th she said, you know, I think that you would grow from this experience. And that was something that I always loved mm -hmm. is trying new things mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. learning from experiences. So I quickly typed up a resume and a cover letter. And they asked for like, what would be your mission and vision and how would you program three to five years? And mm -hmm. I, you know, I loved that sort of challenge. So put that together, send it off. And I started interviewing. I did two trips for interview and believe it or not, I mean, Ballymet was hardcore. Mm -hmm. I had to do psychological testing. Oh, wow. Wow. I had to 
a Skype interview with two psychologists. And at that time I was creating a new ballet for Houston ballet. Uh, and, and as I think an 800 question questionnaire, just so that they could see like what sort of uh, leadership or what sort of personality right. I am. And, uh, now I understand a little bit more because our board is c- comprised of a lot of different um, uh, leaders in corporate world. Mm-hmm. And they they have a lot of that sort of resources and they right. kind of tapped into, mm-hmm. you know, executive coaching or executive headhunting. And that's right. a part of the thing. If you right. take over nationwide insurance – they're going to want to know who you are, who you Everything are, how you. you tick. Right. right. So, yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, I was offered the position and, um, my partner and I decided to, uh, move to Columbus, Ohio. We bought our house, I think, cause I was in Houston and then I, Germany, and then I went to Singapore and we closed on our house when we were, when I was in Singapore. So wow. did you even see it before? <laughs> I saw it. Yes. A couple of okay. times, but we actually decided which house that we really wanted through the internet. Wow. So it was just, one just of happened those, so fast. That one. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That's awesome. So, uh, let's take a minute to talk about your work here. Yeah. That's why you're, that's why we're all here that's together. Why we're all here. Yeah. Um, brought us together. So, uh, tell us a little bit about what we'll be seeing in your right. premiere. I, was really inspired by um, this sort of uh, imagery. I I wasn't fortunate to be able to see it live, but there was a light installation at the Tate Modern, mm-hmm. and uh, it it kind of uh, what it resonated in me was it looked like God's train station, mm-hmm. and it <laughs> mm-hmm. it it brought out something that really uh, inspired me and it Mm -hmm. moved me. And the first thing I thought of was this sort of idea of the in-between or an awakening. Mm -hmm. And uh, whatever you believe in religion, um, every culture has this sort of story, Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's Buddhism, Christianity, Hinduism, to nothing, Mm -hmm. that there's some sort of passing and transition. Right. And uh, what I wanted to do was I want to kind of explore not the before or after, but the in-between. Mm-hmm. And spirits or energies letting go or deciding to transition. Mm-hmm. And it could be any part of life, actually. It's it's really about beginnings and uh, endings, and people always kind of talk about that, but right. they never talk about the the actual experience or the transition part. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's that was really the start of the idea of this ballet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I contacted uh, Helgi and I asked if this was early on, and I didn't know if other choreographers were. Um, get having the ability to have a commission score. Mm -hmm. So I asked him if it was possible that I could get to work with Oliver Davis. Mm -hmm. Um, He's this not only rising star, he's, his music is really beautiful. And um, I've really wanted to have a commission score from him. And Mm -hmm. so we kind of just talked through um, once we got the green light Mm -hmm. that uh, 
it could start. And we just kind of went from there and we kind of sectioned off the pieces. And I asked, I told him like, these are the stories that I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. Um, but what was, what was really fascinating is that not until I was in San Fran, probably the last week. And it was, um, the you know, this, the unbound festival is, a logistical like oh, wow. bomb, I, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, having twelve choreographers within three months, trying to you know divvy up the company in four sections and mm-hmm. rehearsals and organization, and I just don't know that many companies that could like survive pull it or off. pull this off. Right. But um, when I finally had something to look at in the studio, right. and I didn't realize this, but I kept on asking the dancers. Uh, in the beginning, they they walk from the very beginning, at the right against the curtain to towards, I guess, the light installation. Mm-hmm. And there's a ramp that goes up. And I kept on asking them, when you look towards the audience and you turn back, who whose face are you looking at? Mm-hmm. Who do you imagine? Who... Who do you see? And when you project out to the audience, who are you scared of letting go of? Who are, what, what sort of imagery or what, what is it that is still holding you, holding you to this particular plane, whatever? And, um, I really wanted that to kind of, uh, really permeate the way that they uh they danced Mm -hmm. and i really believe in body language and intention and i think it's more potent for the dancer's experience to have something to draw from Mm -hmm. um but at the same time i didn't want to put boundaries Mm -hmm. it wanted to be unbound (laughs) (laughs) but what was a realization for me was that uh once i saw it the question came back and I didn't realize that this ballet was a love letter to my father. Um, he died when I was 13 years old before I moved to New York. And, um, you know, he was somebody that I have always wanted to reconnect with. And this was my way of, uh, reconnecting. And during the summer in July, when I was creating it, it was also during the time that so many different things were happening and my life was surrounded by cancer because so many of my friends were being diagnosed. I was, I had hair down to my chest because I was for two years, I've been growing it to, so I can donate it. It was a nightmare. <laughs> I don't know how people have long hair. It was, I, there was food stuck in it. It was so disgusting. But anyways, um, yeah, so it it was a topic that I wanted to it was really about life and death and just yeah. this I guess the story of the spirit. Yeah. But uh yeah, it's I didn't realize that until the very end. Wow. And so I can honestly say that it wasn't a very sort of uh, You know how sometimes you you try to create a piece and especially something that's important to you, it, it could be 
what's the right word? It's um, forced. Right. And it's this forced sort of topic. And and uh, you could have it be where it's almost like a gimmick. Right. And, but it was just, at that time, it was exactly what was happening in my life. And I wanted to give myself the opportunity to explore that. Mm-hmm. I think the way that you phrased it, though, just made it, um, it sounds so uh, individual. As you, you were giving an instruction that didn't need to be so literal, but that to you that meant one thing, and to the, each one of those dancers it's going to mean something else. I love that idea. I'm sure that's going to really come across on stage and yeah. the audience will really enjoy it. And of course, obviously, with the end of the, the piece, it's really about um, I wanted it to be a joyous sort of run towards the abyss. Mm-hmm. And so it was a fun way to be able to coach, I guess, acting. Because mm-hmm. when I was in New York City, uh, I, again, I love process. Yeah. So I took tons of acting classes mm-hmm. and I never want to be an actor. Mm-hmm. I, I just loved being able to analyze and be self-critical and critical on craft. Mm-hmm. And so I, I, for three years, I would take different acting classes and I loved um, asking these types of questions. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, coaching dancers to think outside of the box of just how they feel. Right. And because sometimes we lose the the perception that it's not about how we feel yeah. and it's about how it looks sometimes. Yeah. And you have to marry those two things mm-hmm. of how it looks and how it feels right. and make it fully integrated. Yeah. And it just it changes your body language, right. and that really is the key for dancers. Is we don't there's there we don't generally use words or text to express ourselves. Right. Yeah. So we use the universal language, which is body language, mm-hmm. and to express our feelings, emotions, a story, right. and just having them be able to look back into the audience and give them that knowing sort of stare mm-hmm. of decision making mm-hmm. or making a an understanding of who you're excited to see versus right. who you're letting go of. Right, yeah. So that part was really just fun. I think it's beautiful conceptually. Yeah. I'm really yeah. looking forward to seeing it. And so thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, today. It was so you. great to chat with you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for tuning in this week. If you have not already, we invite you to subscribe to Conversations on Dance Now, wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing, you will get a notification every Monday when a new episode goes live. This way, you won't miss a moment of the COD action. And if you like what you heard today, we invite you to rate us and review us on iTunes. Thank you for joining us, and we will see you next week. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. 
That's BotoxCosmetic.com. <laughs> 